Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Decker. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. Well, hello, Portland Trail Blazers fans, and welcome to the playoffs edition of Dave and Dia. I am Dave Deckard from Blazers Edge, that dude who talks to you incessantly about every game here together with the irrepressible in enthusiastic, incredibly stoked, Dia Miller, who is absolutely thrilled, I'm sure, to come out of Denver with a split. How are you feeling? I won't speak for you, Dia. How are you feeling with the Blazers one and one coming out of the Mile High City? You know, I feel good about it. I think this is kind of what we predicted last time. I I did say that I thought maybe they'd win both just because, you know, that is my nature. But I have Blazers in six officially, although after after that first game, I thought, man, maybe I need to change this to Blazers in five, which could still happen. But I feel good. I think Denver is a hard place to win. You know, the, the altitude is a thing that is an issue. I believe that we went early due to that. But I think one and one winning the first one is big. I think we're sitting in a good spot. I wasn't surprised that Denver came out hard in this last game and, and, and won. I, I wasn't very surprised by that. So, Let's talk about the yeah, first one I, I first. Though. Let's talk about the good news. How did you feel about game one? <laughs> it was fun to watch. You know, it, it's fun to watch a playoff game go that well. It felt like they were playing well. It felt like they, you know, wanted to win, knew they could win. They were playing cohesively. They were playing well, it was fun. I mean, what's not fun about that? They were ahead. I feel like they were ahead most of the time. And it was just, it was fun. It was fun to watch. And in all honesty, I don't even think that they played the best that they've played. 
and they still they still managed to pull it off. Yusuf Nurkic played among the best games he's played. Obviously, 7 for 10 and 12 rebounds, 16 points. That speaks for itself. And five assists, by the way, which was five times more than Nikola Jokic had. It's not bad when you quintuple the assists of the best passing center in the league. But Nurkic's contributions, first of all, setting screens in that game, absolutely wonderful. Not only freed up his own teammates, but also, I think, wore Jokic down a little bit. Also, Nurkic shaded Jokic to the sides of the court, which is just where you want him. We talked about this key to the series. And in game one, they absolutely did it. Now, Jokic was hitting some of his angle shots, but not as many as he was hitting in the lane or straight away from the bucket. And he took a lot of them, almost 50%, not quite, about 45% of Jokic's shots in game one came out of that central strip in which he's so good. That is fantastic for the Blazers, not just because they made his scoring a little bit harder, but because, as we talked about, they took away the passing angles. And now, all of a sudden, it's really easy to guard his passes. Because the one you've got to watch out for is the feed into the lane. First of all, Nurkic is in the way of that because he's guarding your shot, which is also guarding that entry pass. But second... Nurkic's teammates, all they have to do is watch to make sure the ball doesn't get past them on the inside. Other than that, Jokic's only other option is just to pass it around the perimeter. And unless you're really slow and stupid, you can com- you can compensate for that. So it was a brilliant game plan, and I think Nurkic was the key to it. Love, loved, loved his game one. Yeah, and we've said, I mean, we've said over and over from the beginning that Nurk is a game changer with this team. And when he's playing well, it makes all the difference. And he did. He made he made the difference. He did a really good job because, like I said, there were other guys that didn't play the best that they've played. The other one that I want to highlight that I was really happy to see doing well was Anthony Simons. He did really well. I don't know what his stats are. I don't know if you've got him there. but Five or six field goals, four of five from three-point range, 14 points in 23 minutes. Yeah, you know, he came out and played like he'd been playing his whole life. Well, I mean, he probably hasn't been playing his whole life. <laughs> like he'd been playing like he'd been playing his whole life in playoff games. I mean, right. he he's, you know, he's still young. He has some playoff experience with this team, although I don't know how many minutes he's actually played not in playoff lot. games. I would I was going to say I would I would bet that it's not much. He he came out and really 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 played well, which is exciting to see. You know, I just have to go back and say there was a point this season where I said he's going to come into his own and and we're going to see this happen with him and I feel like we're seeing that. He's he's building he's built some confidence. I mean, he's becoming a better player overall. He's fun to watch. You just you see him it's like he's growing up right before our eyes. He's becoming this player that we knew he could be, and we're watching it happen on the court as we speak, and it's so cool. Yeah, you cannot argue with four three-pointers made in 80% three-point shooting, but also it shows how that game was going. Simons actually had two assists in his 23 minutes, which doesn't sound like a lot, but for Anthony Simons, that's not bad. I mean, he he was passing the ball effectively as well. The the third player you got to point out, really, Carmelo Anthony, goes back to Denver, and in game one, torches them four for eight three-pointers six for 12 field goals overall 18 points in 22 minutes hello baby mellow is back and you're regretting that he's not on your team at least for this night because 
when Denver really needed a run, it was second quarter and middle of the second half. Those were the, you know, they're eyeing Portland's first unit is out. Maybe we have a chance to make up ground here. All of a sudden, Carmelo Anthony comes out like a tornado and absolutely sinks seemingly every shot he took. And you can just see them going, what? This wasn't supposed to happen. Wah! What do we do? And the answer was, there's nothing you can do. All you can do is feed Jokic more, let him score his 34, but you know what? Anthony and Simons between them scored 32. So, hey, that's, you know, that's more than a wash for Portland. That's a huge advantage. If our bench scores the same amount as your superstar, that leaves everything our starters score as excess. And the starters scored a lot. Damian Lillard had 34. CJ McCollum had 21. As we said, Nurkic had 16. It was a great, great evening. Playing the Nuggets in a series like this is is a heated thing for the Blazers because they've got Nurk and Mello, both of who played for that team. And and I think anytime a team is going back to a team that they were or a player is going back to teams that they were previously on, there's some motivation there. And I think, you know, it's gotta feel good to go in and play well against your previous team. It's kind of fun to watch that happen as, you know, a fan of the team that now has the play that are doing well. Yeah, I think for Nurkic, it's more than a team thing. I mean, it might be a little personal with Jokic. I'm not saying they don't like each other. They might be fine. Right. But, you know, this is the guy that beat you out for your position. You remember that no matter how many right. years ago. Also remember that when the Blazers had their big win against Denver in 2019 on their way to the conference finals, Nurkic was out. Nurkic didn't get to play. So this is the first time that he's really gotten to go against Jokic and the Nuggets in this kind of scenario. And I think it probably means something to him, not to mention the fact that obviously they want to win. So I think all those things stacked up well. Now, not everything went well for the Blazers, even in game one. Norman Powell, three for 11, 10 points. Uh, he had four assists, but it was a modest, it wasn't everything you had hoped, right? That I think he can get a pass on because you know what? You see the team in the playoffs, they're reverting a little bit. They're going, okay, now it's time to play for real. And when it's time to play for real, this is Lillard McCollum time. Dame and CJ took 45 shots of the 91 that the Blazers took, literally half. Okay, half of Portland shots came from Lillard McCollum. Freezes out Powell a little bit. It's not quite the same as it was in the regular season as far as touches and shots. But that said, the one other one that kind of bugged me, and I'm, I'm getting trouble for calling him out, but it came through in game two as well. CJ McCollum on defense. Not good. Not good in game one. Not, not, not good. And he scored 21 points on 8 of 20 shooting in game one. I get it. Three of seven, three pointers. I get it. CJ McCollum still a super impressive player. Glad he's on the team. I get it. I always feel I have to say that to qualify it. But his defense was something that Portland had to make up for. It was not something that helped. And that continued into game two. And I've got to say, I'm a little disappointed at this point to see our veteran starting shooting guard having that much trouble mustering the motivation or energy or wherewithal or vision to do something to do something, either stay in front of someone, close out on the three-point line, get around a screen, something. At this point, I would take anything from CJ. I think you summarized it enough. I don't think I need to say more about oh, that. Oh, I'm going to get barbecued was... for that. But I mean, it's there. It's out there. To me, it's obvious. Yeah, it was. there have been clear struggles. I mean, obviously, last night, we... Did, well, it won't be last night when this airs. Game two, 
we lost and it was not close. And, and there was, I don't know what our turnovers and things look like. I think you're looking at that. I'm not looking at it right now, but yeah, uh, I could have told you that pretty. by heart. 20, 20 turnovers in the game. Yeah, that shouldn't be happening. I mean, even in a playoff game against a really good team, we should not be. I mean, we just beat the team the game before we shouldn't be turning over the ball 20 times. It just wasn't pretty. There were moments where it was just like, what is happening here? I definitely agree with you. Our defense struggled. CJ obviously struggled. It's a shame to see because he's had such a stellar season. I have hope that going forward, that's going to come back. You know, I mean, there's a lot of factors here. There's a lot of things going on. You know, they're now they're getting fans back in, uh, in a massive amount more than we've had before. Again, in Denver, where the high altitude gets to them and they've been there now for a few days, although that should help. There's factors here that can go into that, that I'm hoping by game three, we will have shaken and we will be back to better. Well, let's let's talk about that game two for a second. Let's stay where we were and then work back out. McCollum, nine for 12 shooting, which is fantastic. I mean, you cannot ask for better than that. Same 21 points, but um, he made the most out of his dozen shot attempts. And he had six rebounds. That's good. But we're talking about turnovers. Actually, I was wrong. I guess it was 21. I thought it was 20. I memorized the wrong thing. You got six of those were garbage time, deep bench kind of stuff uh, we don't or five of them anyway we won't worry about those that's still 16 turnovers that's a lot for the blazers and check this out though cj had five of those and two assists to five turnovers damian lillard had three but you'll take anything from damian lillard he he's allowed to make 10 turnovers if he needs to and by the way he had 10 assists you can't have five from cj you just that cannot happen robert covington also had four i'm a little inclined to give him a little bit more of a pass because again he may have been put in awkward situations to get those he's not out there creating and and bullying his way into turnovers that shouldn't be it's not great that he had four but those were probably circumstance as much as him you cannot absorb five turnovers from McCollum at this point in in his career at this point and at this need in the playoffs it just it just doesn't work that way so I mean props to CJ for the 21 points an incredibly efficient shooting night but we need more from him especially again the defense was lacking that was a huge problem also Jokic Denver adjusted and Portland didn't. Jokic shot yeah. everything right down the middle in game two. He went inside. He fouled out Nurkic, basically, and also hit 14 of 16 shots in his in his area, in that rectangle in front, 14 of 16. That was amazing, but not, not un-Jokic-like because... The Blazers didn't do anything to push him out, and all of his passes, whether they were assists or not, then became deadly because you collapse in to watch him or to have to guard him, and he has a 360-degree field from which to pass. He's able to pick off or pick out the open man easily, and all of a sudden your defense is scrambling, and now everybody looks like CJ on defense. Nobody's able to move fast enough. Nobody's able to stop anybody, and it all fell apart. Yeah, this game was a lot on a lot of levels. I mean, five minutes in, we had on our side, we had a technical on a coach and we had a flagrant. It was like, this was an incredibly emotionally charged game from the very beginning. I think we came out and won that first game and played really well. And by the largest number of points than any other game one, 
you know, you, you do that and it's at home for Denver where they're finally getting fans back. And so I was not, like I said earlier, I was not at all surprised to see Denver come out, adjust what they were doing and take an early lead. And that's exactly what they did. So much of this game is mental. I think that there's something that happens when, when you have a situation like this, where the Blazers won so efficiently and then they come into game two and there's a little bit of confidence in that, I think, which is often a good thing, but can also be a bad thing. And I think that on the flip side of that, Denver felt the pressure and I think they came out and they adjusted for that. And I think that's part of what we were seeing there with the technical fouls, the flagrant fouls and that their emotions were running high. Everybody's emotions were running high. And we saw that. We saw that in how they played. Again, there's a mental aspect to this. There were videos that surfaced after the fact of the way that the Denver fans treated the Blazers as they were leaving. And I think that that was going on during the game as well. That's not something that you can always ignore. And especially after a season of not playing with fans, I wonder how much of that had an impact as well. Yeah, we'll get to that. But you're not going to want to hear this. You may want to close your ears. Or sing a song. <laughs> this is very Portland. Very, very Portland. Remember the, the podcast with Kevin Durant and CJ McCollum that we often cite, where CJ said, we made, we made the playoffs every year I've been in a league, and Kevin Durant said, I can't believe that's your metric. I can't believe, like, that. that's a job done. Your job's done now. You made the playoffs. That's it. And felt very much like the Blazers come out, well, we won game one by a lot, by the biggest margin, you know, that's ever been margined and all this stuff in franchise history, whatever it is. That's your job. That's your job's done now. Really? Really? Because Denver didn't think the job was done. And you could see it even in how the teams reacted to the refs. And there was, by the way, there was bad refing in those yeah. games. And there were yep. some flagrant fouls called on Portland that were not even close to flagrant fouls. No. I get it. I get it. I get it. But both teams had problems with the refs. Look at their responses. The Blazers. I mean, I, I remember a close-up camera shot of Nurkic, and he had like these big sad eyes. Like you could see the big, like it wasn't exactly tears, but it was like, I can't believe this is happening, like welling up in his eyes. And this is incredible. And this is wrong. And he's not incorrect about that. But it's just like these, these big, astonished, sad eyes. And I remember contrasting that with Jokic, upset at the refs, walking off the floor and Mike Malone, oh, excuse me, Mike o -O 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 Malone had to restrain him because Jokic was going to go and kill somebody, it looked like. He was just going to, he was absolutely, it looked like a professional wrestler doing a promo that he was going to take somebody's head off. And that kind of encapsulated the tenor of the whole game, not just for those two players, but for those two teams. Portland looked like they came in and said, yeah, you know, we're pretty good and we're going to do this again. And Denver said, the hell you are. And Portland doesn't always know how to respond, especially if they're ahead. If they have the advantage, they don't know how to play with one. They let it go, and then they're the, well, we're the underdogs, and we'll fight back, and then they find their guts. That'll get you by a series. That'll get you a nice story, but it's not going to get you a championship, and the Blazers need to figure out what to do with success, because right now it feels like they have no clue other than try to write it until someone knocks them off it. I see what you're saying. I think we're not going to see that. I think it was, it's one game of 
possibly seven. And I think that that will probably be the last time we see this happen in this series. I think that there's a fire lit there. I think especially the way that it ended and the way that they went out and the and the response they got from fans and things like that. And now coming back to the Moda Center with more fans, I, I think the next couple games are, are ours. I think we'll win. I do agree with the fact that when they're the underdogs or when they're behind or when they have a loss, they come back swinging. And so it would not surprise me at all to see that happen, you know, coming up here. I don't know, Dave. I, I don't know. I, I don't think I have a lot of thoughts swirling in my head about what you just said. And I'm not sure that I can straighten any of them out enough to actually say anything about it. But I think there's I think there's stuff there. I think it's things that, you know, are worth a thought. You know, this is a team that really enjoys being together and enjoys playing together and they have fun. And sometimes that ends up being enough. And so maybe the drive isn't there as much, but I don't see, I don't know, Dave, I don't see that with them. I think individually, especially, I don't see them as being a team that just loses that drive. Well, here's the thing. Like, I, I agree, it's only one game, and I would say that too. This, this doesn't matter. I mean, the Blazers could still easily win the series. And I don't think the series is going to turn on game two. I don't think it's that important. In fact, odd games are more important in the uh, best of seven. Just win the odd ones, you're going to be okay. Right? right or you're always going to have the advantage anyway so i don't think it's that big of a deal and i believe that they will come out swinging my argument is you know what swing now swing now swing in game two if you can swing swing i mean and that's that's but maybe they couldn't well okay maybe they couldn't again, that's a again. problem but again but but again again i mean i think you've got a lot of factors here that I think, again, are different this year than they've ever been before. And I think being in an arena, finally, with fans, the way that they, you know, the amount of fans that were there, I know that they've had some fans here and there, but the amount, I mean, for the playoffs, they've, they've massively upped the amount of fans that can be in the arena. And so coming into Denver with a massive amount of Denver fans and having them reacting the way that they did, you know, they're not, they've gotten used to not having that. And I feel like that had to have, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking this or maybe I'm not thinking about it enough, or maybe I'm thinking it from, you know, what I do, the emotional perspective of it more than the gameplay perspective of it i just think that that i think that i think that takes a toll and so i again i will say i think they're going to come out in the moda center this week and i think that they're going to i i think they'll win i think we'll see what we're used to seeing or what we've gotten used to seeing in this last little run of games here sure i won't argue that that isn't a factor i will say this if that's it and you let the opposing fans beat you you're in trouble I mean, because okay, I mean, that's the fair. Lakers fans are going to destroy you. Phoenix, I, Phoenix, if they get to the second round, their fans are going to be pumped. I don't know, Dave. I think it's the, some of the stuff that I saw from yesterday and right. seeing things that were said. I, I don't know. I don't know that that was that was bad. Hold hold it for a second there. We'll get, well, I promise we'll get there. But I think it was a combination. I think the fans could have something to do with it. I think the refs definitely bothered them. And yeah. I also think that Denver did. Denver just took them out of sorts. And you could see the Blazers actually starting to argue with each other. I mean, there was a play where Carmelo Anthony missed Robert Covington for an open three. And then Carmelo just dribbled to the baseline and turned the ball over. 
I mean, just it was it was as bad as anything you could wish for. At the beginning of the game, C.J. McCollum trying to motion for help. I think it was at the beginning. I don't remember where it was, but he got stuck in the backcourt. And nobody came to help him quickly enough, and he turned the ball over. And just the frustration of all that. And when the pressure was on, the Blazers turned a little bit against themselves, and also a little bit of that kind of I don't want to say. I mean, it was it was kind of an impotent rage. If there was a rage, it was like a frustration it wasn't like channeled toward a good end and so all the all the mental emotional stuff just ended up messing them up more and let's be realistic by the way about this portland had a playoffs defining career defining performance from damian lillard and the only reason it isn't career defining is because he's done so much other stuff but right. 42 points, absolutely torching the Nuggets from distance. 42 points, 10 assists. The only game that's ever been lost, or at least lost by this much, when a player did that, is is this game. So you want history. This was history. Nobody's lost when a player's done that, uh, at least not by this much. That said, had he had a normal game, the Blazers would have lost by 30, okay? <laughs> he, he was literally, it took that performance to keep them from losing by 30. Something wasn't right. And the Blazers weren't really good at making it right or making it even close to right. And again, we've talked about the technical stuff. Didn't do well with Jokic. Didn't do well with any of the forwards or bigs, by the way. Eric Gordon did nasty things to them. Even uh, Faku Kampazzo uh, did did (laughs) pretty well. I mean, he was looking relatively decent, better than he should. So a lot of things went wrong, technically. But I think just emotionally, they couldn't even begin to approach the technical because no matter what they did, their energy, their oomph, their whatever, their will wasn't behind it. You know, we can analyze this over and over, which we do because that's what we're here for. Everybody has bad games sometimes. And unfortunately for us, we had several guys who had bad games all at once. And on the flip side, Denver didn't. And when that plays out that way, you lose. And so we lost. And you're right. Dame came out and just, it was like he just said, nope, we're not going to lose this. And did everything he possibly could to keep that from happening. But one player does not make a win. You know, the other ones can't sit back and let him do that. And we talked before about the fact that sometimes I think Dame ends up kind of almost being a crutch for the team where they'll just kind of let him do his thing, which is great. He does it well, but in the playoffs right now, we need them all doing their thing. And especially with this three guard lineup that we're playing and, and our team being a small team, we need those guys to score because our defense is not going to be as strong as Denver's defense. Well, nobody was involved in the offense, though. And it's not its not Dame. At Dame's moment, everybody's going like, you shoot that. We don't want to shoot. Don't pass us the ball. Shoot the three. Let's take out those 24 shots. Those were Dame's properly great. Nobody else was really involved in the rest of the offense. There weren't a lot of screens comparatively in game two to game one that I saw. There wasn't a lot of action. There was a lot of passing around the perimeter, and it was a choosing who's going to take the shot. And not a lot of helping out, not a lot of supporting each other, passing to each other, making decisive passes, going inside out. Even the big men, the big men weren't doing much. I don't think that's entirely their fault. It's just the Blazers just went, okay, we're going to try to play and we're going to try to win. Instead of in game one, they're like, we're screening you to death. We're running every play and we're making you move all around the court. And you're never going to know where this is coming from. I mean, Portland had 15 assists. 15 assists in game two. 
and 21 turnovers. That's yeah. a lot. And and granted, okay, when you have that many turnovers, you may be passing around the ball. It's just either getting stolen or people are fumbling it away. I get it. But 15 assists, 21 turnovers, that offense is not working. The other killer stat that I mentioned in a written article this week, 73 shots. That's terrible for the Blazers. They need 90 minimum, and they would probably prefer 100. If the Blazers are taking 73 shots, Denver's winning. And that's what Denver's defense actually wants to do. They want to slow them down, make them think, make Portland pass up opportunities because they're too well guarded and take a lot of time off the clock. And that's exactly what happened here. Now, granted, there were 33 or 28 free throws rather. So there were there's some mitigation to that. But still, that's not enough possessions. That's not enough shots going up. The turnovers were a big part of it and taking too much time with figuring out what they wanted to do with offense to little effect. That was a big part of it too. Yeah, it wasn't a pretty game. We'll just say that it was not a pretty game. One and one. You'll take it. I think the Blazers will take it. Obviously it will help if they come out and win game three. I expect them to counter Jokic in the middle. I expect them to use Nurkic and Cantor more mobily, if nothing else. Again, set a screen. Make Jokic make a decision. One of the brilliant things about Game 1, they set screens, Denver switched, you have Jokic on Damian Lillard. That's a win for Portland. And Dame did the exact right thing when that happened. He drove to the bucket. He didn't pick up fouls. He should have. He got fouled more than was called. But keep that pressure on. Keep Jokic thinking about his foul trouble or potential for it. Keep Jokic moving his feet. Keep Jokic making decisions. If you do that, he can't do all the other things quite as well, and you have a huge advantage. But that doesn't happen if Dame is just going one-on-one and everybody else is standing around. So, I mean, I expect them to counter that. I expect them to play more physically than they did in Game 2, especially against Jokic. And I I expect a better energy, better effort, better cohesiveness all around. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I I think game three, like I said earlier, you know, I I think they're going to come out strong. They're going to be in the Moda Center with the most fans they've had in a year and a half. That's going to be huge. I mean, think about the post-game interviews that were done after the first game they had fans back. You know, Dame talked about how they only had, I think, like 1,900 fans in the building. So they're going to have two, four, six, eight, four times as many fans as they've had. And he was saying how loud just those 1,900 fans are. And, and you know that Moda Center is, is infamous for that. The Moda Center is infamous for the crowd and, and the cheering and the noise. And I think that they're going to be energized by being at home with their fans. I think that's going to be huge. And I think fans are excited and energized and wanting to come in and make a big noise. I would be shocked. I mean, it's very rare that I confidently say, I think we'll win something. The only other game that I, I I made a bet, my neighbors are Laker fans. When we played the Lakers that last game, I, I bet him chicken wings from Buffalo Wild Wings that we would win because I was that confident. I have a no betting on sports policy. And I still, I still did because I was that confident we would win. And I feel about that confident again this time. If I was a betting person, I would be placing money on this game because I think that this is, I just do not see them coming out and losing. And I'm saying this very publicly, so this may come back and bite me, but I really would be shocked if they lost game three, being one and one with, you know, going home, being in the motor center, being with all those fans. I think they'll take it. I think they'll win. Can I get some bonus wings if they win? 
<laughs> I, I, I'll tell you what that I, there's a reason that I don't bet, especially on sports. And it is because I was, I was so anxious watching that whole, that took all the fun out of it for me. I don't know how people do that. I'll tell you this. If the Blazers win a championship this year, I'm, I will drive down to LA and we will go to Buffalo Wild Wings and we will like get all the appetizers and all the wings. All the wings. Yeah, we all will get wings. all the wings. I mean, if, if, if they win a title, we will have a table full of wings. We will wear Blazer jerseys. We can do the podcast from Buffalo Wild Wings. Uh, we, that, that would, would be, be amazing. Okay. If they win a title, this is on. I, I will when, drive for you. When, Dave? When, when they, win, when a they win a title. Dia's <laughs> just going, okay, free wings. Yes, that's awesome. <laughs> I think this team, the way that they are and the way that the fans play into that, I think fans make a bigger impact than we give credit for. And I I truly think that that's a big part of why this year has been so wonky. I think wonky, that's a good word. It is a good word. I think that that's a big part of it. I think that fans and lack of fans and then getting fans back in limited numbers and all that, I think that has an impact probably a bigger impact than we even realize. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. The, the home court advantage has not been there. And a lot of teams, including the Blazers, have been better road teams this year than usual. So, I mean, yeah, ab- absolutely. I agree with that. We'll see how much it plays in this game, in this series. I'm not necessarily in the loop, but you've seen videos or some stuff happen yeah. at the end of game two or after game two. Fill us in. Yeah. So there was a video, one specific video that was circulating of Denver fans screaming at Mello uh, as the as the team was walking to the tunnel to leave. And I'm not going to say what they said. It, there was a lot of inappropriate profanities and things that should never be said to a human being. Mello, in my opinion, from what I could see, handled it with class. Nasir Little had to be held back, which I give him a lot of credit for. You know, sometimes it's harder to watch someone you care about getting picked on than it is to be picked on yourself. And I think that's what was happening. People were screaming at Mello and Nasir wasn't having it, you know, and, and then Amara, who we've talked about before on the show, Amara Amara Baptist, who does the social media for the Blazers. She responded to a tweet saying that it was, it was awful that the fans were absolutely awful to the Blazers, not just the players. It doesn't sound like it sounds like to anybody involved with the team. And it's a shame, you know, for me, I love sports, obviously. I like the competitive nature. I can handle a little trash talking, a little friendly trash talking. I mean, I get into it with people. I've gone to games where I've been bantering back and forth with the people around me that are going for the opposing team. There's nothing wrong with that. That's part of the fun. And we've said this before, and we've talked about this before, but I feel like it's something that needs to be said over and over and over again. The people playing, the players, the coaches, the staff, Staff. They are people before they are players and coaches and staff. They are human beings who have feelings, who go home at night to their families. Yes, they're getting paid money to play games, but they're not getting paid money to be talked to like that. It was hard to watch that video. And y'all know how I feel about James Harden. And I would not even wish this on James Harden. The- wow. <laughs> Poor James. No, no. I, I wouldn't wish I, that I, comment on James Harden, but that's okay. <laughs> I say that to say this is not because I like the Blazers. This is simply something that as human beings should not be done. You don't talk to people this way, in my opinion. And it's it's disappointing. I'm hoping that 
it will be fuel for the fire for the Blazers. I'm hoping that they will go out and just take this and run with it. If y'all are listening to this and then getting ready to go to a game at the Moda Center, cheer those guys on as hard as you possibly can and encourage them as much as you can. And don't be jerks to the other team. At least not that kind of jerk. You can, you know, whatever. But anyway, I just, this is something... There are certain things that I just don't have a lot of tolerance for, and this is one of them. I just think it's not okay. Fandom is supposed to be about something that's in the communal space in between us. It's about the game and the players and our interactions with same. It's not about just us internally finding validation or power by trying to infringe upon or disrupt the communal thing that we all enjoy. And to me, that includes players. Now, Shaquille O'Neal was my thing. I used to say terrible things about Shaq, not, not you know, over the line thing, but just like that he wasn't a very adept player, like smart player or whatever, that, you know, if, if he was six foot five, he wouldn't even be in the league, that kind of thing, which I kind of actually still hold to. But, uh, <laughs> you know, there's a limit. And there's a way to, uh, I think, cheer and or deride the opposing team that stays within the confines of it. And there are ways yeah. that kind of ruin it. And I agree with you. That, for me, ruins it. And it almost makes you wish that you weren't on this side, right? That you yeah. weren't. So, yeah. I mean, and I think, I believe most Portland fans are probably better than that. So, depends, give or take, with the Lakers, who well, we may see in round two, by the way. But we'll have to see. Yeah. I, I also think some of this has to do with the fact that everybody's been stuck at home for the last year. So none of these people, given they are adults and should know how to act, but nobody's been at a, at a sporting event. Probably a lot of people haven't drank the way that they're drinking at these games. So maybe their tolerance isn't great. And then they're getting thrown into a playoff atmosphere. So it's not even a regular season game. So I think people are probably acting out more than they have in the past, more than normal. I'm going to go ahead and say that, but just don't, just don't, just don't be that guy. Just be, especially when the game's over, like you won, you won. Congratulations. Let them go to the locker room. Like it's just, oh, this boils my blood. To a former player too. But I tell you, dear, you can get me as drunk as you want. And the worst thing I'm going to yell is start Nasir Little. You know, I mean, it's just, I mean, it kind hey, of reveals who you are. It's not the right? worst thing. It's not the worst thing. No, but that's thing. the worst thing I'm going to yell. <laughs> What's the matter with you, fool? Start Nasir Little. He deserves that. Oh, I'm drunk. <laughs> Oh, man. So, yeah, I mean, it's just people need to just be better. The Moda Center is going to be opening up a little bit more. So instead of the 1,900 fans that they had previously that were all socially distanced in, I think, pods of seats, this time there will be 8,000 fans allowed in the stadium with a vaccinated section that I'm assuming, looking at how other stadiums have done it, will be normal seating. You sit next to the people, whatever. And then a non-vaccinated section, which will have people a little bit more spread out. So that's exciting. It's exciting to, you know, see some things returning back to normal. The coaches now do not have to wear their masks if they are vaccinated. So we're seeing, again, some more return to normalcy. I personally am a huge fan of this because I have missed Terry Stott's facial expressions. I love watching him coach. I love the faces he makes. And he pulls I that his... thing down three quarters of the way I've anyway. I missed his face. Yeah, not all the time, though, but not the way that I'm used to. I've, I've, missed, I've missed his face. I'm glad to have it back. It makes me wonder how much we're going to see that they don't want us to see because they forget they're not wearing a mask. It's 
nice to see some start of return to normalcy. You know, I'm hoping that by next season, things will kind of be back and we'll be, you know, back to normal. So that's, that's exciting. That's exciting. It'll bring Portland's home court advantage closer to being back. So I too am hopeful for game three. Absolutely. The only other thing I have is just the other teams. You know, that's been an interesting first game of the first round. We're currently right now because we're recording on Tuesday night. There are other games going on. So they, they're kind of playing in shifts. It's like some teams are playing on one day and then the next day the other teams play. So there's a little bit of a shift. So we've had our second games, but the other right. s- group of teams is currently playing their second game. So we don't have the results of that yet. Right now, the the Lakers are looking like they have a decent chance to win. I mean, they're 15 up in the third quarter, early in the third quarter. But if LA gets the bit in their mouth, you got to figure that Phoenix might have a hard time coming back unless they can just flat out outrun them. At this point, it looks like that series could go 1-1. But that's okay. You want to be a long series, no matter what, if you're the Blazers. I'm not sure really which team. I mean, obviously, I think you kind of want Phoenix to win because you don't want the version of the Lakers that would have beaten Phoenix because you figure if they, can, if they can beat <sighs> Phoenix, they can probably beat you. So probably Blazer fans should root for the Suns, but the Suns are not an easy matchup. I don't care what version of the Lakers we get. I don't want them. I just want them to go away. I'm so tired. And I, again, I can't say enough. I'm so tired of Laker fans. I'm just so tired of them. I'm so tired of Laker fans. I can't. I just, It's just please. perfect. Yes. Just lose, just lose. <laughs> I will literally take 28 other teams over the. There's not a team that I want to play less than the Lakers. Ugh, just make them go away. Phoenix started, I mean, they had a good game one. So. Yeah, I'm pulling for Phoenix for sure. 100% I'm pulling for Phoenix. Yep. The, the other bracket that's the, the other side that's really interesting is the Clippers and the Mavericks. And the, they're, yeah. they're virtually tied going into halftime as we speak. Of course, you'll already know what happened with that by the time you hear this. But if the Clippers don't win this series, that's going to be a really interesting summer for them. Because going out in the first round was not the plan when you got Kawhi Leonard and you got Paul George. That's going to be a lot of soul-searching, looking at each other. And that team's fragile anyway. Look, that team needs things to go right. They still have to figure out how to play together, how to play, period. And there's a lot of, as we saw last year, relying on, you know, it's my turn, it's your turn. We kind of all do a few things and let's share them. And that's not really teamwork. It's like they were writing their marquee or writing the names uh, on the back of their jersey instead of playing for the team on the front of their jersey. And I think this will cause further fractures, and it will be interesting to see what happens to the Clippers if they get ousted by the Mavericks. Yeah, I mean, the Clippers are an L.A. team again. And, you know, I mean, as somebody living in L.A., I don't really love when our teams win, at least not the teams that I'm not a fan of, because I have to hear about it. That being said, the Clippers are not nearly as bad of a fan base, and I would not mind a Clippers-Blazers series. I don't know if I'd rather have Clippers or Mavericks. You, you, um, you know why the Clippers are not as bad as a fan, of a fan base? Because they basically sucked. I mean, they haven't learned. You watch. You watch. If the Clippers were to win a title, that fan base would become worse than L.A. because they'd have uh, all the bling and no idea how to handle it. They'd become worse than the Lakers. I so, just, you know, the I, I want them to, to lose. This, the solution to this, Dave, is for the Blazers to win. Yeah, of course. Because then I have bragging rights over anyone I come in contact with, and I could get on board with that. 
And Buffalo Wild Wings. Yes, exactly. But <laughs> Dallas taking them down, I'm kind of rooting for that. But I root for chaos anyway, except when it comes to Portland. I always want Portland to win. Otherwise, chaos. I love it when weird things happen. And I love it when, oh my gosh. I mean, so I'm watching this and the halftime score is an all-star game score. It's 73-71. Uh, they got three seconds left in the half. 73-71, the Clippers and the Mavericks at the half. What the heck is going on in this? That's 140 points apiece. That's, that's old Doug Moe Denver Nuggets territory. This is not playoffs. Who knows what's going on there? Anyway, let's hope the Clippers lose. Let's hope the Lakers lose. Then everybody will be happy. And if Portland advances, then that becomes really interesting, yes? Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm obviously going to choose any team over <laughs> for the LATs. The one nice thing about a Clippers series is that for me, just completely for selfish reasons, they'd be local and I could go watch them. Well, um, also, but- Dame would light up. Yeah. Dame has, I mean, the Thunder, what Dame used to be angry at with the Thunder, Dame is now angry at with the Clippers times two because he's got a little Houston Rockets latent anger in there as well. So like, that's like the crucible. That's like the, you're putting a base and an acid together when you put Damian Lillard against the Clippers. So that would be interesting to watch. Of course, I just, I just don't know that Portland could overcome them necessarily in a seven game series. Rather see uh, Dallas, frankly, but I mean, Luca and Dame. Oh man, Luca and Dame. That would get headlines. That would be for the ages. Yeah, that would be an interesting one for sure. So there's a lot of excitement. You know, this is this is definitely an anticipated playoff series. I think because of a lot of reasons. I think because of the weird season we've had. Because of the fact that fans are now getting back in the stadiums in massive amounts. I think it's just there's a lot of buildup here. And and honestly, I'm still gonna say. Anything can happen. There's so much that can still happen. I mean, we saw a major upset in the first game. The Grizzlies came in and, and upset, right? Wasn't yeah, Golden the State. They took out Golden State. Yeah, and then in the first in the first game, game, yeah, they took out the Jazz. Now the Jazz were they, without yeah. Donovan Mitchell, so that may change, but we'll have to see. Actually, I kind of hope. I kind of hope Utah. I want to see. I don't want to see Utah fail utterly. I think they've had too good of a season. My heart's kind of with Jazz fans because I think I think it would be cruel for Memphis to win that series. Although I'd love it for Memphis fans, but I think I would feel bad for Jazz fans. That's the only team really that the favorite team that I think it would be cool if they won. Oh, see, I feel that way about the Suns. I don't know why. Yeah, but they're the I favorite. They're well. <laughs> I mean, okay, We're, they're the. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Never mind. They're playing the Lakers is what I wanted to say. I mean, you were for anybody who's playing against the Lakers. That's a different... Yeah, taking the Lakers out of it if it was another team. The Suns haven't been in the playoffs for so long, and they finally they finally get a shot. They they take a high seating, and then they have to play the Lakers. It just doesn't seem fair. Yeah, but you put the Lakers back into it there. But here, here's the thing, though. Oh, well, the, the you Suns- know, okay. Another high-seeded team that did the same thing that the Lakers. You know what I mean. Sure. The Suns, Monty Williams. I root for Monty Williams at all times and in all places. So love that. I will root for them for him. But otherwise, the Suns are like, they're all like 11 years old. I mean, they're going to, if they keep that core together. I know there's Chris Paul. I was going to say, other than Chris Paul, if you keep that core together, they're going to be in the playoffs for the next like 24 years. They can wait their turn for me. So, I want to see Chris Paul win a ring, though. Not this year. I mean, well, no. Obviously, I want the Blazer. Maybe he can come be a Blazer and win a ring with us. That seems like a good plan. 
Oh, wow. Chris Paul and Damien Lillard? I don't know. That would be interesting. So, <laughs> well, I didn't think through the plan, Dave. I didn't yeah, think exactly. through the plan. Just, uh, okay. <laughs> Chris Paul becomes the new Norman Pell. That's okay. That one. Let's get on to game three really quick. I'm going to call this for the other guys. I think the Blazers need a, a game from the other guys. And by that, I mean CJ McCollum, and I get the 21-point games and 9-for-12 shooting. I'm talking about CJ McCollum having a real impactful game on all levels. Norman Powell getting off the schneid to kind of counter whatever Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon concoct together, because I don't think the Blazers are going to be able to stop those two. But if Powell gets off, then it doesn't matter as much what the Denver forwards do. And Robert Covington, that he be blessed with a lot of catch-and-shoot threes. And I think if you look at the number for those three players, that's what I'm banking on to turn Game 3, because I think they're kind of due. And, uh, you know, obviously Nurkic and Lillard can't fall apart. Carmelo Anthony's contributions would be great, and Simon's in the bench and stuff like that. They can't absolutely fail at the other positions, but I think those could be the difference makers. If those three or two of the three have a really great game, I think the Blazers have a good chance. Agreed. Agreed. I, you nailed it. I, I think ultimately I've said what I think. I think they're going to come out and I think they're going to do well. Excellent. All right. Well, by next time we talk, this series will be either over or deep into it. We will have a very interesting podcast next time, either previewing the second round when the Blazers win, right? Or let's see, because we got Thursday. Yeah, they could, they could potentially win. No, I, I, Thursday, Saturday, Tuesday. I don't know if they're playing on Monday or Tuesday. We'll see. Either we'll be talking about a Blazers clinching game, I'm sure, or we will be looking forward to the second round, or we will be woe is us. Who, who knows? We will figure it out in that. In any case, we will see you next week. Uh, for Dia Miller, I'm Dave Deckard, uh, and we hope the Blazers finish better than I just did. <laughs> Have fun. Go Blazers. A hater sees an opening down the lane, moves towards the hoop. But then Dia comes out of nowhere to swap the shot attempt away, saying, get that weak stuff out of here. Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Dave comes here an alley-oop. She jams it. Boom, shakalaka. The crowd is on its feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent. <laughs>